1 Timothy chapter 1, back in the first century, Paul, a planter of churches, had a young protege, a mentoree that he placed in position of authority at a church he planted in Ephesus, a place of the world now known as Turkia, or Turkey. This young man is needing some encouragement, so Paul's getting towards the end of what's going to be the end of his life, uh, writes some encouraging words to him, as well as some very strong instructions. So this letter is one that is really important. This charge, verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. All right, I'm giving you some marching orders here, boy. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Who needs a word of encouragement? It gives you the strength to fight, doesn't it? Having faith and a good conscience. Who knows there's conditions to prophetic words? Some people are confused. Somebody prophesied something about their ministry and it's not happening, but they're not walking in faith or their conscience isn't clear. Which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I don't think he turned them over to Satan initially, but he backed off and let the devil have them because they were intent on not walking in the steps that God had ordained for them. He made room for Jesus in the situation by not wasting any more time arguing with him. Hymenius was a guy who um, had embraced a false doctrine about the resurrection. The teaching of the resurrection is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and literally rose from the dead. And we have assurance that his resurrection is the first resurrection of mankind where he rose from the dead, never to die again, in in promising us the great hope that one day we too will resurrect. So Hymenaeus embraced a teaching that was something like, oh, the resurrection is, is an encouraging myth, and uh, the resurrection for you and I is that we live a better life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you too can roll your stone away and come out of your grave and live a better life. And um, I don't think that is true. Yeah, the resurrection is a great hope. It's not just a pep talk. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, because of what I just told you. You see the word therefore in the scriptures? You want to read the previous verses to see what therefore is therefore. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Can you say everybody? For kings and all who are in authority. Can you say leadership? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Can you say pleasing? Who desires all men to be saved. Can you say everybody? And to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now what is that truth? Here it is. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, or the man, the Messiah, Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all 
to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, or a missionary, a sent one. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Clearly, Lord, may we hear you. And may we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a series speaking on our citizenship. How should we function as American citizens who are also citizens of heaven? We've seen that we have an eternal citizenship and a temporal citizenship, a heavenly citizenship and an earthly citizenship. We carry what's called a dual citizenship. It was believed at one time you could not be American if you were a citizen of another country. Due to a Supreme Court decision back in the 60s, there are exceptions to that rule. But in the terms of spirituality, it's always been the case. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a citizen of his kingdom. You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. If you've been born again, you've been born of the water and the spirit, you are able to enter into the kingdom of God, while at the same time, you're a citizen of the earth realm. Now, during the time of the New Testament's writing, people often did have dual citizenships. Paul was an Israeli, yet he was from Tarsus, and he was born a Roman citizen. The city of Philippi had a special privilege, just like the people of Tarsus. If you were born in Philippi, you would be a Philippian, of course, but you were also a citizen of Rome, even though you've never been there. So in like pattern. We are citizens of heaven, even though we've not been there, but we've got our papers. The blood of Jesus, signed in blood in the book of life. We're registered there as citizens. Our citizenship on earth involves prophecy and prayer. It's not everything that our earthly citizenship includes, which includes taxation and honoring laws that do not violate scriptural principle, but it begins with prophecy and prayer. It all begins with prophecy. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If that's not a prophecy, I don't know what is. And through his sacrifice of being the slain lamb for us, we have been purchased redemption. So, in our text today, we saw that true prophecies are a means of encouragement for the fight of faith. This charge, he wrote, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. A prophecy is a word from God. It is a specific word from God. The Greek word for specific word is the word rhema. It is the word that is used in describing the sword of the spirit. One of our greatest weapons is the rhema or the word of God. No matter what the circumstances look like, you cannot give in to discouragement if you hold on to the word that God has given you. The conditions for fulfilled prophecies involve faith and clear consciences. He went on to write, waging this good warfare according to the prophecies which are made for you, having faith and a good conscience with some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. Now, Paul himself had been through many uh, trials and even uh, at least two 
shipwrecks in his life, but his faith never shipwrecked because he continued to wage his warfare according to the prophecies that were made over him. In Acts 13, Paul himself along with Barnabas also received such a prophecy. Here's how it happened. Acts 13, we saw this a few months ago. It said, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Here they are, five of them. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, which means a black man. You have the country of Niger, you have Nigerians in Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, which is a North African territory. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, so this guy grew up with royalty, and Saul, who later became Paul. While they were worshiping, these five guys were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and here comes a prophecy, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they had already received a calling, but the releasing hadn't happened. Some people went before they were sent. They received a calling, then they got ahead of God. The Lord didn't send them. He just gave them a glimpse of what the future was going to be in their life, and they took off and got ahead of God. I've done that many times in my life. Abraham did that by trying to help God out with Hagar. The world still has problems today as a result of the birth of Ishmael. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so they went forward in faith, keeping their consciences clear and obedient to the Lord. And even though they faced physical shipwrecks, their faith did not shipwreck because they obeyed the word. They waged their warfare according to the prophecy made concerning them. Next point. According to 1 Corinthians 14.3, prophesying is speaking, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification means to build up. A building can be called an edifice. Normally, it's a more majestic building than this, but in a technical sense, you live in an edifice, this is an edifice, something that has been built up. So when someone edifies you, they encourage you, they build you up. Exhortation, preaching is exhortation. When someone preaches at you, they're calling you up. We want to be built up. We want to be called up, called up to a higher walk. And comfort, that means to calm down. Everything's going to be all right. We need these things in our life. Now, if you see someone operating in what they consider to be a prophetic function and they're condemning folks, that is not New Testament prophecy. might be Old Testament prophecy, we could debate on that, but New Testament prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. Well, don't people need correction? Yes, and when, you, when they do, you do it one-on-one. My dad became pastor of a church in another state that, it, that had gotten rid of their previous pastor. It was a tough deal, and it wasn't many years before they got rid of him too, but the previous pastor attempted to correct people by pretending he was prophesying. You know, yea, thus saith the Lord, y'all are not doing right around here. You'd better listen to your pastor, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Jesus himself said, if you see someone with a blind spot, a speck in their eye, get the log out of yours and then go and help them 
deal with the speck that's in their eye. So you're not hiding behind some type of religious performance when bringing correction. And it's always loving correction. We speak the truth in love. Can I get an amen? So in terms of spiritual gift, prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. Well, what about when somebody reads my mail and they knew something about my past? Well, if that is truly what happened, then that isn't prophecy. That's a word of knowledge. When someone has insight into your past or your present uh, tense situation, that, according to my understanding of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14, is a word of knowledge. Well, what about predicting the future? Well, that could be a word of wisdom which can involve your present situation, but also your future situation. All these spiritual gifts relate to the condition of faith. And faith without works is dead. So is obedience and having a clear conscience. Here's the actual verse, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. So Timothy had been exhorted. He had been edified. He had been comforted. And he was to hold on to those words and wage a good warfare. The prophecy we read earlier in Acts 13, just a few minutes ago, those words were edifying. I've called you guys. And they were exhorting, separate them, send them out. And they were comforting. Hey, I've been called. God does know my address. Does that make sense? So contained in our text today is a prophecy or an exhortation. Here in 1 Timothy 2, Paul gives an exhortation that can be seen as prophetic. And maybe when we read it, you were tempted to roll your eyes. Yeah, I know that's in the Bible. Pray for the president. You know, this is more than that. This is serious. Therefore, based on what I told you, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for everybody, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who wants to live a life that pleases the Lord? Who knows you can have a peaceable life in the midst of all sorts of turmoil? Right? But I think the condition for this prophecy must be met before you enjoy the peaceable life. Doesn't mean your life is conflict-free. Doesn't mean everything is hunky-dory. But if you will pray for everybody and those in authority, the the result of that will be God answering your prayer, but also changing you. Prayer changes things, but first of all, it changes me. Supplications, what is that? That is a petition. That's a formal request. That's a a prayer ask. That can be a big ask or a small question. Prayers. The word here is prosyukeo, which means to pro-bless or prostrate yourself in humility before the Lord. Who's who's ever been so desperate in your prayer, you laid down before the Lord. Lord, I I give up. I, I, I got to have your help. Here I am. Do that. I've done that many times. So serious prayer, fervent prayer, intercessions. To intercede is to plead the case for someone else. Supplications can be for yourself, but interceding for yourself isn't, isn't even necessary. Jesus is interceding for you. 
So we intercede for others. If you have a good lawyer and you have a legal issue happening in your life and that lawyer does a good job, then that lawyer interceded on your behalf. If he does a bad job or she does a bad job, they may not have necessarily interceded for you. To do a good job of intercession is to put yourself in someone else's shoes and state the need, state the case, work accordingly. So in prayer, as I'm praying for everyone, as we're praying for those in authority, we have to put ourselves in their shoes. Even though we may not like them, put ourselves in their shoes and pray accordingly. Does that make sense? With thanksgiving. Giving thanks all the time is to be our life. Give thanks in all things. This is it. So our prayers have to include thanksgiving. It's not just focusing on the bad, but it's focusing on the good. And there's always something to thank God for. If nothing else, thank you, Lord, they're made in your image. <laughs> thank you, Lord, you put them in my life. Thank you, Lord, that you put them in authority. Thank you, Lord, you're dealing in matters that we don't know you're dealing with. So that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good in the sight of God, our Savior. But it doesn't stop there. This isn't the ultimate reason for our prayer so that we can be good people and have good, quiet, honest lives. No, the purpose for this is so that we can be evangelistic effectively. If we're rattled and mad at the world, what kind of influence are we going to be on unbelievers? How persuasive will you be with someone who doesn't agree with you by being just as ugly as they are? All you do is strengthen their position by stating yours. Whereas if we would pray, first of all, with all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks for everybody, including those we can't stand, those we don't care for, those we disagree with, God in those prayer times will change our hearts and give us a love for everybody. That old-time religion. By heeding such words and praying with thanksgiving, in faith with a clear conscience, we can please God by valuing what He desires. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. This is the direction to, work to which we are to pray. Peter wrote in one of his letters that the Lord is delaying His return because He doesn't want anyone to perish but for all to come to repentance. That's God's desire. Our job is to pray for that, to function in the capacity of being an intercessor. This is a big part of our earthly assignment. Now in heaven, we won't be praying for stuff. Will you? There won't be any sorrow. There won't be any pain. There won't be any tears. There won't be any um, night. Teenagers, you won't have to go to bed. You won't have to say your bedtime prayers. We'll all be known as we're known. We won't even have to say, who are you? We'll just know. A glorious time. But here, there's some things we do that aren't done there. And first of all, it begins with prayer. Well, doesn't also begin with evangelism? Yes, but prayer first. 
Without prayer, evangelism is nothing but good works that won't bear fruit. So we pray that the Lord will make us more effective. There is one God and one mediator who can, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, the Messiah. He gave his life to purchase freedom. He's our ransom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So it's getting this message out, which is what it's all about, that it starts, first of all, with prayer, which is initiated with prophecy, words from God. So if God said it and we believe it, we'd better heed it. If God said it, we better heed it whether we believe it or not. Amen? So our citizenship on earth involves prophecy and prayer. That's, that's the initial step. But it doesn't stop there. It includes being a good citizen, being faithful to, to our nation's principles that are good, paying taxes, and speaking out on issues that are important. I have here a book that I'm going to make available to everyone in the room. They're here on this cart. After service, be sure and come and get your book for every individual in the room today. It's written by Jim Garlow, who is a pastor in San Diego Skyline Wesleyan Church. The pastor who preceded him years ago was John Maxwell. And now this brother is leaving Skyline to minister to the nation, uh, and this book is a springboard for that. It's a book that deals with all the issues that our culture is fighting over right now, to equip us to be able to give an answer to everyone that has a question concerning the hope that is in us. In his concluding chapter, he said, my call is not to political action, even though political action can be a good thing. I'm calling you to something much more stimulating and thrilling. I'm calling you to biblical application. As followers of Jesus, we need to know how to apply the immeasurable principles of Scripture to not just 50%, not 75%, or even 99% of life, but to every issue of life, even politics. Does that mean this book is about theocracy? No. We live in a constitutional republic and would like for it to stay that way. Does it mean we want to force our views on others? No. But we want the presentation of biblical truth to be so convicting, convincing, and compelling that people will want to embrace it. So in this day of conflict in our culture, you could get swayed either way, to either extreme. But we want to be biblical. James Garlow has written a book to help us do that. So I want to make this book available to every person here this morning. Uh, there's other resources available. If you read the book and you say, man, I'd like to start a small group uh, studying this book, you can do that. Just let us know. We'll help you, help you pull that off. We're going to conclude the sermon with a time of praying together for America in obedience to the prophecy that we read. First of all, that, ex that uh, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. But right now, I just want to view a video where you see an example of this being done. Father God, you are great and worthy of praise. 
You have promised to heal our land if we humble ourselves before you. And today, we do so in a special day of prayer. You have blessed this nation and bestowed freedom upon America. But we recognize that true freedom, eternal freedom, cannot be granted by a government, but by the Lamb of God alone. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I thank you, Lord, for the liberty and freedom that you have bestowed on the United States. I lift up my president and his staff to you. May the Holy Spirit give them the gifts of both leadership and servitude. I pray for them to be encouraged and strengthened through a relationship with you. I also ask your blessing on America's troops serving away from their loved ones and for your comforting hand to be on the families awaiting their safe return. Give us the strength to stand with our allies, but the will to stand alone with you when necessary. Through seeking your will, may our sovereignty be a light to other nations and a hope to those in need. Above all, teach us to be a nation dedicated to your word. Teach us to pray for our leaders and seek your face. Teach us to pray for repentance as our forefathers did. And may we never be a Christian nation by mere proclamation, but through our actions, mercy, and compassion. Amen. If you're not comfortable with doing what I'm about to ask you to do, just stay there in your seat and meditate on the word that you've heard. But I'm going to ask those that are comfortable with it, let's stand and form circles of three or four. Any more than that will be too many people. And just for the next few minutes, pray as the musicians are playing. And when you hear them begin to sing, that's the time to wrap up the prayer and we'll end the service with singing a worship song together. Can you do that? God bless you. The books are up here. Don't leave without them.
Jesus' name, amen. Amen.